0: Well, there's an amazing truth about God, and it's this. Jesus didn't come into the world to die for a religion, to die for a a set of beliefs. He came to die for people. And in the world, we find that there are just so many perceptions and views about God. You don't have to go far. You don't have to ask too many people to find out that there are so many opinions and uh, perspectives that people have. And yet, in reality, God is actually a God of intimacy. So I want to talk about that this morning. I want to share about that with you because, you know, there are so many religions in the world and they offer a way to God. They talk about how mankind can find their way to God and because there's something on the very inside of every human being that that there's something that knows there has to be more. And so many people are looking for God. And yet according to the Bible, the, the reality is that God is actually looking for us. He's actually pursuing you and I. He wants to be with us. This is the most incredible truth when we start to read the truths of the Bible and start to read the reality of, of what God has done for us. And when you start to look at uh, the even the, the plan of redemption or the journey of salvation from Genesis through to Revelation, you, you realize that God is actually always wanting to live amongst his people and that's you and that's me and uh, I'll, I'll I'm really praying that this morning all of us, myself included, will get a greater understanding of what this actually means for our lives. You know, the Bible describes God as the God who wants to be with people. Isn't that incredible to think that he actually wants to be with you because he is a God of intimacy. And if you go right back to the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, in, uh, in the first chapter it states that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and everything else in creation by his spoken word. But then when he created man, and it says that he made him in his likeness in Genesis 2 verse seven, it tells us that he created man, not with spoken words, but with his own hands. Wow. He actually breathed life into man and man became a living soul. And this kind of action when you read about this and, and really stop and meditate on that and think about that perspective and that truth, kind of gives this picture of a face-to-face scenario. So it's, it's almost as if man's very first sight when he became a living soul was the very face of his creator. Wow. So we can conclude from that that man was created almost in an atmosphere of intimacy with God. So we can see even from the beginning in Genesis 1, that God wanted intimacy, He created human beings so that He could, He they could walk with Him, they could talk with Him. But then we read on and we realize, because of the fall of man, man no longer had mankind, human beings as a as a whole had no access to God. And as you begin to read through the Old Testament, we begin to see that all the rituals that are recorded, uh, right from uh, Exodus right through to Deuteronomy. They were necessary requirements that would make a way for mankind to come into God's presence. And once again, we see, and if you start to read and look at that, it was initiated by, by God because he always wants to be with his people. That's you and me. When I say his people, that's us. It's every single human being. I mean, the Bible tells us we've all been created in the image of God. He's put his imprint of his image upon each and every one of us. And all the requirements and necessary rituals that I just mentioned then now ultimately find their fulfillment in the one person, in Jesus. And so it kind of takes us, this whole thread of redemption, the whole, if you you look at the big picture, you zoom out and you look at the big picture of the Old Testament story and journey. It's this story of God wanting to be with his people and wanting to be intimate, not just with people as a whole and as a group, but with you. With you as an individual, with me, he wants to be. He wants to know me. In fact, the Bible is really clear, from Genesis through to Revelation, the Bible names people's names. He knows them. He knows what moves them. He knows what mo- mobilizes them. What motivates their hearts. He knows their names. He knows everything about you and I. And it's phenomenal. That's how much he loves us. And I think sometimes it's hard for. For you and I to really grasp the incredible love that God would have for us. So often uh, we, we have this perspective of God, like I said at the beginning, of, of how we can find our way to God, and yet in reality we can actually look at Him and realize that He's looking for us and He's pursuing us. I want us to just look at something that's really powerful because it kind of that whole journey of salvation or journey of redemption or threat of redemption brings us to the fulfillment in the person of jesus like i just mentioned but there's a really beautiful passage of scripture and i'm going to indulge myself here and read from the gospel of john so it's matthew mark luke and john if you've got a bible you might want to even grab it and have a read through with me from that from chapter one and it's just so powerful this describes the extent of god's ultimate effort to be with his people in that he decided to become a man, to pour himself, pour his word uh, into a human being. And the name of that man is Jesus. So let's just read a little bit about this. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Just that one verse there says so much. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. This is talking about John the Baptist now. He came as a witness to testify about the light, that light being Jesus, the word of God, the word made flesh, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify or to tell people about the light, to recognise that this was the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. There's that intimacy. There's that language of family right there. There's that language of him pursuing us. There's that truth, that reality of him longing to be with his creation. But as many, I'll read it again, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. There's strong words right there. He gave the right to you, to me. To become a child of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. This is kind of the punchline of this, this passage right now. And the word became flesh. The word of the father himself was poured into the frame and the form of flesh, a human being. And he dwelt among us. Once again, wanting to be with us, wanting to live amongst us. Uh, The Bible talks about it being like he's tabernacling with us. He wants to tabernacle with us. He wants to pitch a tent amongst us. And that's what you see throughout the whole of the Old Testament, you know, from from the language of creation. In fact, even here in the Gospel of John, it starts with the language of creation. In the beginning was the word. He's talking about creation, but now he's moving into uh, the, the, the aspect of the glory of God now coming into human beings and coming into a human being for us to be able to see and to be able to look at and recognize, oh, this is what God looks like. This is who he is. And it says, let's read it again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And then the last verse in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He Has explained him. Wow! This is this is such an incredible picture of God's heart for intimacy, His longing for intimacy with mankind that He paid the ultimate price through the death of His own Son Jesus, not only so that we can, so sorry that He can be with His people, but now by His Spirit He can now be in us. Why? Because we just read He gives us the right to become children of God. So there's a transaction that happens clearly there's a transaction that happens with with the fact of looking to Jesus. Now the thought that the king of heaven or the very father of heaven has decided to make our hearts his home that's that's mind-boggling guys that's that's incredible. You know Jesus actually approached this when the when the disciples were getting a bit nervous about the fact that Jesus was making mention of the fact that he was about to go and you know they'd been journeying with him for several years now and they were recognizing that there was something incredible about him that he was their savior that he was he was god in the flesh and he's starting to prepare them for the fact that he's about to go and so when you when you start to read through if you're interested you can go and look up uh, the chapters of you know John 14 15 and 16 he starts to talk about this person who's coming and this this helper that is about to come and he actually prepares his disciples in verse 7 of chapter 16 and he says but i tell you the truth it's actually to your advantage that i go away for if i don't go away the helper will not come to you but if i do go i will send him to you so this continuing abiding presence of the Helper, which is the Holy Spirit, is available for anyone, but with one and only one requirement. All we have to do is just believe in him, believe in Jesus. This this is the gospel in a nutshell. God poured himself out as light onto the earth into the person of a human being. He inserted himself into our story as a human being. And he sent his son and then he allowed his son to die on the cross. And then as his son rose to heaven, he rose again from the dead. And then when Jesus rose rose from the dead and ascended and was glorified in heaven, then because of the work of the cross, God sent the spirit of his son down to us to inhabit you and I. And that's why the Bible says we can now cry out, Abba, Father, we can now take the spirit of the son. We, are, we can, we can uh, no longer just be like outcasts and outside of knowing God as the father, but we can be, uh, be like adopted sons and daughters and brought in and know the very relationship that Jesus had with the father and that the father had with Jesus. Well, his spirit that caused him to understand that relationship is now can be in you and I if we would just look to Jesus and believe in him. And that's why, guys, we actually don't need a special place or a building to pray or to talk to him. We can communicate with him anywhere and at any time because the Bible tells us that we are now his temple. We are now his building. And Jesus actually alluded to this new reality coming in a conversation uh, with a woman at a well. It's it's a really uh, beautiful story about this woman who was kind of an outcast from the Jewish community. She wasn't part of the Jewish community. She was uh, not really accepted by them. But she met Jesus at a well. Well, rather, Jesus met her. Actually, I believe Jesus kind of pursued her. Just like I said at the beginning, Jesus is on the lookout. He's he's looking for you and I, and he looked for this woman. I, I love it. <laughs> um, in fact, when you look into that story, it's really clear that he he travelled deliberately into this place in Samaria to go and meet this woman. And once he did his job and met with her and and, and revealed himself to her. Then he went back to where he'd come from. That's how much he loves you and I. He will come looking for you. He came looking for me and he will come looking. In fact, he is looking for you now. He's pursuing you right now. So this woman who was not part of the Jewish community uh, actually said to Jesus that so she's there at the well, giving him water. And uh, she says to him, look, her, her people, my people basically, she was saying, they worshiped at the mountain but that his people, the Jews, had said that it was in Jerusalem where the temple was, where men ought to worship. And he said to her this amazing truth. He said, actually, the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, not in a physical temple, not in a geographical place. It's not going to be in a special mountain. It's not going to have to go to a specific temple. It's not having to look in a, a certain way. No, he says it's going to come from a place in the heart, in spirit and in truth. And so when you start to look at the gospel of John, and and that story actually comes out of John chapter 4, you you realize that Jesus is beginning to describe and prepare the disciples and the people uh, about a new era that is coming. And I love the, the gospel of John because he, he actually wrote this at the end of his life. And it's like a retrospective kind of gospel. He's looking back and the reality of now who he sees Jesus actually is. And so he writes from the very beginning, you know, whereas the, the gospel of Matthew, it starts with the genealogy. It's very factual and it's very, um, you know, let's let's get our facts right. But John starts what we read earlier in John chapter one. He talks about this is who Jesus is, because at the end of his life, he looks back and he goes, "Wow, I've been walking with this guy all these years, and I and and now he's gone to be with the Father. We went through that whole trauma of losing him at the cross, and then his spirit was poured out, and and God sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts so that we could now be adopted into to His family." And we we can cry out, Abba Father. And now this is no longer just a, a mental ascension to this truth. I have now walked out my life and I have lived out the reality of what it is to walk with the Spirit of His Son living in my heart. And it's no longer just uh, mentally ascending and having knowledge about what the Scriptures tell me who Jesus is. No, I can now experience the very life of Jesus on the inside of me. Everything that He knew about the goodness of the Father, the character of the Father, I can now know that on the inside of me. I can now understand also not only about my relationship with him but his love for me. I can feel this love on the inside of me. This this is a supernatural thing that God does in you and I. And John, at the end of his life, begins to talk about this. It's so powerful. It moves me so deeply when I begin to think that this is a man writing this final thing at the end of his life saying, this is actually who Jesus is. This is the glorified Christ, but he lives in you and I. He is this intimate God who loves you and I, who pursues you and I, who comes after you and I, who wants a relationship with you and I who wants to be in that place of speaking with us and loving us and and wanting to lead us and give us this abundant life of joy of knowing Him. You know, we make so many mistakes in our pursuit of God. We think we have to perform. We think we have to act out a certain way. We think we have to recite in certain prayers and say certain things, dress certain ways. But no, we don't. We just have to set our eyes on Jesus We just have to look to him and know he is the word made flesh. He is the God himself, the the word of God himself. Come down, humbled himself, humbled himself into the form of a human being, it says in Philippians. He humbled himself and made himself into the form of a human being so that we could look at him, almost touch him through the pages of the Bible and go, I can identify with him, but we don't even have to stop at the Words of the pages of the Bible, we can ask Him, we can ask Him to come and live in our hearts. We can say, Father, I want to know you the way Jesus knew you. And when we do that and we say, Father, I believe in who the Son is, He will send His Spirit into our hearts. And something changes, something transforms, something powerful begins to happen because He begins to live on the inside of our hearts. And so the whole Gospel of John, if you want to zoom back out and read about it, he's, he's, just, he's taking us on this journey and he shows us how Jesus was literally describing a new era that was about to come. This was the era that, yeah, the prophets of old in the Old Testament, they'd prophesied about this Messiah. They'd prophesied about him. They'd looked down the corridor of time and they'd seen this Messiah coming. But now John is saying he is here This hour, in fact, he's reciting what Jesus said. This is a a time that is, um, uh, the time is coming and in fact now is. And he says that he's describing that where the very essence of who you are as a human being will be changed, where you will have God living on the inside of you. He talks about that to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And then in John chapter 4 with the story that I just read about the, the woman of Samaria, he says this is where you learn how you, your own worship, the way you worship will actually change. You won't be restricted to a place or a geographical place or to a temple or a building. And then he goes on even in, in, in the later chapters in 16 and 17 and he begins to talk about the very way you live out your life will be transformed in a way that truly blesses others. It's, it's profound. Why? Because he says the spirit of truth is on his way. He says the spirit of truth is on his way. And see, this is why we don't have to be afraid of this season. And I want to encourage even pastors out there, pastors and leaders of churches that might be listening to this, We don't have to be discouraged the fact that we can't be in buildings. Yes, we long to be together as a group of worshippers together. But I'm telling you, if we're relying on that to be the ultimate goal of how to build our people up, then we've lost sight of the fact that it's actually the Word of God and the Spirit of truth operating in people's lives that is actually the thing that is going to transform us because Jesus was saying, guys, I want you to understand. And of course they didn't understand. He's saying all these things. <laughs> they didn't understand anything he was saying really. But then later on when the spirit of God came and filled their hearts, then they looked back and go, wow, now I get it. Now I understand. Because what he was saying is the spirit of truth is on his way. And here's the answer to so many questions. He is the powerful enabler for this transformed life. In fact, the Bible talks about him and calls him the counsellor, the comforter, the strength, the advocate, the teacher, the helper. And in John, once again, out of the Gospel of John, we see in John chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, I'll read you this scripture. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine. In other words, he's going to take what belongs to me. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and he's saying he's going to take all the knowledge, everything that belongs to me and he will disclose it to you. How does he do that? It's because he lives. He comes and lives in us. Remember, this is all in the context of, of God wanting to be a God of intimacy. Remember, Jesus didn't come into the world to die for a religion or for a set of you know, moral values or a code of conduct or for a belief system or to institutionalise some form of uh, you know, religion. No, he came for you. And I, uh, He came to change something in us, our hearts. The Old Testament prophets prophesied about Him coming, and they said that there was Jesus. They said the Son, this, this, a Son will be born to us. They talked about this Saviour who would come, and that there would be uh, the rivers flowing in our hearts, and that this. Whatever was about to come that was going to come like like rivers in, in, in dryness in, in the desert lands of our hearts was going to cause our hearts to desire God, was going to cause our hearts to want to follow God, would actually enable our hearts to follow and walk in statutes of God. That's what it says in, in, the, in, the, books, in the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. And this is the Holy Spirit. That's his role. Jesus has done. Jesus the Son has done his job. Now the Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of truth is here and he will guide you into all truth. So it says there, he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The word of God is powerful. In fact, the Bible tells us that the message of Jesus is living and is active and it is powerful and it is able to sever and cut between our soul and our spirit. And it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And this is the the work of the Holy Spirit is to make that real, is to make that a reality in our hearts. That is the role of the Holy Spirit, of the spirit of truth. So that's what Jesus was saying in John, in the Gospel of John. He's saying, get ready, guys. There's a a new era that is coming. And uh, I I just want to sort of end with a a story um, that basically describes the simplicity of of what it is for any human being uh to relate to what it is to relate to our heavenly father this happened about five years ago when brahm and i were in bali and we were having a holiday after a very busy time of ministry and we were sitting on our favorite beach in bali <laughs> which we've been going to since 1978 i think it was and um you know, if, if any of you have been to Bali, you'll know that they have these beach sellers and uh, they have these ice cream sellers that walk up and down the beach. Well, there was one young guy who came up to us and his name was Fiko. And uh, because I met Brahman in Indonesia when I was 17 and I learned Indonesian, I'm fluent in Indonesian, so I began to talk to him and found out that this guy had a wife and three kids, but they lived on another island and he had to work in Bali because he needed to send money home, which is the story of so many people in Indonesia. So... We asked him, have you ever actually had one of your ice creams, which was the Magnum, that was the one we were going for, that was our favourite, and he said he's never never bought one. So we bought him one and, the, you know, we bought one off of him and then we gave it to him and he absolutely loved it. And uh, I said, you know what, um, Fico? I'm going to pray for you uh, that you'll have success. Now, the guy wasn't a Christian, um, but I can still go to the Father on his behalf Uh, because I can go in the name of Jesus, because that's my job and that's my role and that's my right. Remember, we read, that's my right to be a child of God. So I can come boldly before the throne of God, the Bible says. I can come boldly as a child of God and I can literally drag other people with me. And I did that with Fico. I said, come on, Fico. I'm sitting there in my bathers with my sarong wrapped around me and sand all over my feet and It's awesome. I've got I've got this little mini church happening on the beach of, of of Bali. It's so funny, and uh, the massage lady calls me her pastor and rings us and all sorts of things. It's 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 awesome. You know we can we can bring the spirit of truth everywhere we go. We can bring the reality of who God is everywhere we go. So anyway, getting back to the story of Fico, there I am. I'm talking to him. I said, "Come on, Fico, I'm going to pray that Jesus." And I just said the name of Jesus. I knew he didn't know about he actually didn't know about jesus he didn't understand but i said you know what i can pray in the name of jesus that you'll have success because he was really struggling and 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 not making many sales and then i finished praying for him and i said all right fico guess what you can actually pray to jesus yourself so i'm going to tell you as you walk up and down the um the beach you just start to pray to jesus just say jesus Lord Jesus, you can call him Lord, you can call him Jesus. You just ask him, Said Jesus, can you please help me sell my ice creams today? And so he kind of looked at me and he was all excited and he was so open and he said, okay, do I need to wear something special? Do I need to go to a special place first? Because remember, he's got this other mindset, like the woman at the well, it has to be at a mountain, it has to be at a geographical place, you have to go to a temple. And I said, no, you just talk to him as you walk along the beach. You just talk to him like, like you're talking to me right now. He goes, do I need to use kind of special language? <laughs> and I laughed and said, no, Fico, talk to him like you're talking to me right now. And just say, Jesus, you can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. Jesus, can you please help me? So he did. Off he goes, he walks off. And apparently he started talking to Jesus because he really needed some more income and and uh, he was running out of money. So anyway, later on that day, he actually might have actually been the next day. He came up to us and the guy was blown away. He was so excited and he said, I started talking to Jesus and it was so amazing. He said, I I realised I didn't have to wear certain clothes. I I didn't have to talk in a certain way and he said, literally after meeting you and and Bram, Pap Bram he called him, he said, I sold out all of my ice creams and he said, I couldn't believe how all of a sudden everyone was wanting my ice creams. And so we were there for a further 10 days. We kind of indulged ourselves on that holiday. It was awesome. Um, And every day, Fico would come up to us and he would say, I've sold out again, and uh, to the point that he had to start going to the local street stores to to keep up with the demand. And in the end, it was amazing. I, I made contact with... Uh, some pastors that I know in Bali and I said, come down and meet this guy. And so I set up a meeting and so once again I'm sitting under my umbrella, you know, on my beach chair, in my bathers and my sarong because I could not care less what I look like, clearly. And uh, and these pastors came down and we all sat there together with this gorgeous Indonesian man and they could speak Indonesian, I could speak Indonesian and we and I passed this man over and I said, okay, can you please look after him now? But what an incredible story of the reality that, you know, that that's how simple it is because when we, we pray to him, we have direct access to the Father. And Fico, this beautiful man who'd never stepped foot inside a church before, never probably even met many Christians. I don't know. I didn't actually get around to asking him that. But it didn't really matter because it wasn't about saying, I'm a Christian. It's not about a label. Remember, Jesus didn't come to die for the religion of Christianity. He came to die for the ficos of this world, for you, for me. He just came for people. Let's get rid of all the junk and the clutter that gets between the reality of the truth of the gospel and touching people's hearts. We don't even need a building. We don't. We just need the Word of God, the truth, the the reality, of the message of who Jesus is, the light of the world coming into the world, lighting up. We've got so much darkness around us right now. It's only going to get darker. But Jesus is the light of the world. He is the hope. He came into the world and the world didn't recognise him. The darkness didn't recognise him. But we're here to continue on to show the light of who Jesus is. And this is how simple it is. Lead people. Don't preach at them and give them all sorts of scriptures and doctrinal truths and beat them over the head. Just point them to Jesus. Teach them how to pray in the name of Jesus. You know, I, I have a friend who actually was, I just remember this story now, and he was part of the singing group that Brahm and I were a part of way before we sort of really let, let God take a hold of our lives and and uh uh, he was the guitarist and we met up with him in Bali many years later once Brahman and I were now already pastors and he'd become a witch doctor in, in the Hindu faith. And so we, we went and saw him because we love this guy. He's one of our friends. And when we met up with him, he started telling us. He had a prayer room set up in his house and everything. And when we started uh, to talk to him about Jesus, he said, you know what, as I've been praying in my prayer room to my uh, to the Hindu gods and his wife would had, had a Balinese... Um, uh, altar where she would cut up fruit and put flowers out for the for the unseen gods and everything. He he showed us a picture. Well, he showed Brahm because I wasn't allowed to go into his room because I was a female. Um, but he showed Brahm a picture and he said, this picture, this man has been visiting me every time I pray. <laughs> and you know who the picture was of? It was a picture of what we would all say was, that looks like Jesus. And he talked about it. He said, I believe this is Jesus. Every time I pray prayed, the ghost, this man comes. So we said, come on, Rewin. That was his name. Let's pray together. So we began to pray together. And he began to pray and, and burn incense. And we got out a guitar and we began to sing and began to worship Jesus. And it was the most powerful time. And I said, Rewin, can I put my hands on you and pray? And I did. And he felt Literally, he said, I've never felt that sort of thing before. I felt a presence come on me when you put your hand on me and prayed for me. See, this is how simple it is. We have access to the Father and we're meant to lead other people into that place. Jesus says that we can come to the Father and ask whatever we want in Jesus' name. And God loves this. And it's because you and I are meant to be living in him and him in us. And uh, that's why we're now his temple and his house and his building. And I'm going to finish with the scripture. John 16, 24 says, Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. And he says, ask, and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. All right? So let's finish by asking. Let's ask. I want to ask on your behalf. And, but you know what? You can ask. You can ask in the name of Jesus. You might not have ever done that before. You can ask out loud. You can ask in your heart. Let's just pray. All right. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you, Lord, on behalf of every single person that is listening right now. Lord, your love is so overwhelming. Your grace is so abundant. Your love is all consuming. Nothing can separate us, really, Lord, from the love that has been poured out through Jesus. Father, I pray even now as people begin to ask you, go ahead, just start asking, Ask in your own heart. Ask for anything that you need. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. This is what he wants for you and I. Father, let them, as they ask now, let their joy be made full, Father, so that they can know that you love them, that you want to live with us, that you want to be intimate with us, that you want to dwell among us, but not just dwell among us, you want to dwell in us. Thank you, Father, I pray. As you said to pray, in the name of Jesus, amen.